All right, we're uh, continuing our series uh, called Following Jesus, His Life and Teaching. And uh, each week we're looking at a story from the life of Jesus. And we're using a, a harmony of the Gospels, so we're not, not only dealing with a Matthew or Mark or a Luke or a John passage, although John typically is all by himself, none of the other um, Gospel writers, they, they missed a lot of the things that John got. I don't know how that works, but anyway. Uh, also, each week, we're providing a handout, so you, you would uh, be receiving right now a handout, and this handout, though, is for next Sunday's uh, sermon. So what you'll want to do is take this one home with you, not pay any attention to it right now while I'm sharing, uh, but this week, this afternoon, sometime this week, use this as a devotional uh, opportunity for you to connect with the passage that will be shared next week, and so... I hope that is, is helpful to you. And it's my hope that we will, um, this is going to help us better understand Jesus' life and teaching, and at the same time, to encourage a daily interaction with him. And during our fast, this is a, a particularly uh, special opportunity because the heart of the fast, which you'll hear me say again later, is relationship with God. That's the heart of the point of, of a fast or any of the spiritual practices. This morning, we're going to be uh, considering the topic of fasting and some things that Jesus spoke about it. But before we head there, let's pray. Papa, something I'm, I'm just um, getting and, and so appreciating about you is that you don't demand, you invite. You have given us the ability to choose. And so as we uh, consider a topic uh, such as fasting, a practice, spiritual practice, as we look at these um, words of Jesus about that, might you give us the appropriate perspective. Might we perhaps be able to lay aside our preconceived thoughts about fasting, our preconceived thoughts about disciplines, and hear your voice. So come, Holy Spirit, help us. Teach us what we don't know. Lead even now as I speak and share. In Jesus' name, amen. So our passage uh, this morning is actually two passages that were brought together because of the nature of their topic of fasting. Uh, the first is, is from a harmony and then specifically uh, a passage from Matthew. I'll just read that uh, to us. It'll be on the screen. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. People came and asked Jesus, why, why do John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The days will come when the groom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. He also told them a parable. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new patch will away from the old cloth, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost as well as the skins. 
but new wine should be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants new, because they say the old is better. Whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast and put oil on your head, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So first uh, question that sort of popped up for me that I thought was appropriate to at least acknowledge is the question, is fasting an acceptable spiritual practice? You know, in a quick reading of this passage, combined perhaps with a mindset that sees the Old Testament and its practices as, as something that have been replaced by the New Testament and the New Covenant, one might conclude at a quick glance that there isn't really any reason to fast anymore. We have the bridegroom. We have Jesus. Why would we need to fast? However, I think we need to notice that Jesus says in Matthew 9, 15, in this text, the days will come when the bridegroom is not here, and then they will fast. Also, he says in Matthew 6, 16, one of the verses, when you fast, do it this way. And then thirdly, not from these texts, but we're well aware of Jesus having fasted in the desert for 40 days. There's no other references per se to fasting from food, but Jesus clearly fasted from sleep. We referenced that uh, a couple months ago in one of the passages we were facing, that Jesus spent all night in prayer. And that doing away with sleep for that night was a spiritual practice of connection with God. And my guess is, is that he probably followed the normal fasting uh, patterns of the Jewish people at that time, which there were regular fasts throughout the year, uh, special holidays and things of that nature. My guess is that. So is fasting an acceptable spiritual practice for us as New Testament Christians? I would say yes. I would say that those aspects of those things would suggest that. So then the bigger question really is, is what is the purpose of fasting? A great opportunity to lose weight, right? And to curtail, uh, you know, your eating and you think, okay, I'm going to fulfill my New Year's resolution. I'm going to fast from food for 40 days and 40 nights. I'm going to do it. No, you're not. That attitude probably won't get you an hour. But anyway, I hope that you will be able to find the empowering presence of the Spirit to accomplish whatever it is that He's inviting you to. So in the first passage in Matthew 9, Jesus uses three metaphors or parables to answer the questions asked of him. Why do your disciples not fast? His first parable or picture is a wedding. And he says, can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? Now, clearly, having uh, knowing what happened, having the hindsight of Jesus' crucifixion and, and resurrection, particularly the, the crucifixion, um, it was clear that he was in some way referencing his death 
and that during those three years that he was with his disciples and on earth was a time of, of joy and of, of a time when the bridegroom was with them. I have a slight tension with that, however, in that the bridegroom is still with us, as I suggested earlier. And my gut feeling, and this is not, you know, I didn't read this one anywhere, but as I looked at the passages, I think the heart of what Jesus is touching on here, and we'll see this in the next two, is it isn't about fasting or not fasting, it's about what kind of fasting. And the idea that what they've been doing, the way they've been doing it, isn't the way it's going to be on the way on, I think is referenced in this way. We're always going to have the bridegroom with us, and we still might fast, but its intention, its objective is different than the way it's been. And clearly that's true in the next two parables. The first one, a sewing project. My wife is a sewing teacher and loves sewing. So here Jesus touched the women in the crowd and brings up a sewing project because the men go, I don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. What do you mean new cloth and fabric? And I, I don't get all that. That's fine. Old wine and new wine, you'll get that one. This one's for the women. No one sews a patch. Jesus is really accommodating. His stories really reach out to all of us, particularly in that urban, non-urban, excuse me, rural culture, agricultural culture. But anyway, here, here he is. So pay attention to his parables. They're for us too. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new patch pulls away from the old cloth and a worse tear is made. And then he goes on to uh, the one for the men, old and new wine. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost as well as the skins. But new wine should be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants new wine, new because he says the old is better. So there is a new covenant that Jesus came to administrate, one that was talked about in the pages of the Old Testament referencing the Old Covenant. And there really was something new he was bringing. There really was. There really is. And my understanding is the Old was about Outward performance unto pleasing God in many cases, probably not at all. I think the point of the new, the new way is about relationship. Truly, that's the heart of Jesus relative to the eternal life that he's calling us to. Truly, uh, it is the case relative to all the statements by Paul that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And Jesus' declarations about abide in me as I abide in you. The, the new covenant is not primarily, it includes it, but it is not primarily about forgiveness of sins. It's not primarily about getting ourselves right. God took care of that one. That's a done deal. We're supposed to be living under the new covenant, which is Jesus has taken care of all the stuff, and we get now to live with God. And in a life 
with God. Now, not just, yes, someday. Yeah, when we die. My oldest brother passed away a few weeks ago, and um, he was struggling, a lot of health and stuff. Doggone it, I think I'm happy for him. I'm sad for the losses of his kids and his grandkids, and I was sad and mourned, but he's experiencing a new kind of life. But we're supposed to experience that new kind of life right now. That's what eternal life is. It's a kind of life, not something relative to a framework of time. Eternal, eternality, by the way, starts right now. In fact, this started a while ago. So eternal life starts today. And I think that what Jesus is, is trying to help us to get as he talks about spiritual practices, as he talks about this fasting, is it's, it's not the way it used to be. And I think that's very clear as we go on looking at what he says in Matthew 6. So how should we fast? What is the fasting unto? In the second passage in Matthew 6, Jesus makes some really clear statements about the practice, the how-to of fasting. Whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces as so as to show others that they are fasting. So as I referenced earlier, fasting among many in Jesus' day, those who had a misunderstanding, um, fasting had become an outward practice and not a practice of their heart. They were looking to make sure that others thought that they were good people or that others could respect them because they have this way of living, this honoring and holy life unto God. I fast. I give my tithes. I give alms. I go to church every week. Whatever they are. And Jesus throughout the Gospels addresses Friends, and even the Old Testament, Isaiah says this really clearly as well. Hey, friends, this, this is not about outward appearance. It, it, it's, not even about, it's not even about performance. It's about your heart. And how is your heart framed towards God and others? And how is your heart framed towards yourself? These folks... Jesus calls hypocrites, we're doing something and demanding something to be done of others without touching the really root issue, which is their heart. And so Jesus then, here's what fasting should look like. When you fast, put oil on your head. That was a good thing, by the way. That wasn't washing their hair. That was, they didn't have showers and all that kind of stuff, so oil makes you, was scented. Won't go all there, but anyway, put oil on your head. Wash your face. In other words, live your life as you normally would live it so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I found, I found it interesting, as I often do, uh, when I looked at the, the Greek words and, and kind of wanted a secret. You know, what's, what's there? And I, and I found that that the word has the connotation additionally of hidden or concealed. And I thought hidden. I like that. Your father who is 
hidden sees what is hidden. God is not concerned with the outward appearance, but is concerned about what is in the heart. Your father who is in is hidden, not easily seen in the outward physicalities of our world, but can be seen with the heart, is inviting us to join Him in that place of aloneness and quietness, withdrawing, many other spiritual practices happening there, to do what? To be with Him and to give Him access to our heart. Does that make sense? That, that's what I'm getting from this passage. Then, then there's this word reward. Doesn't that kind of sound like performance? Doesn't that sound a little bit like pay? I do and I get a reward. Well, again, one of those words that has other aspects to what it means, give back, return, or restore. Give back, return, or restore. Here's a crazy thought. I learned it from Dallas Willard. In a God-initiated fast, God will meet us and can satisfy our needs. Dallas Willard, amazing man. I've done a lot of reading, love uh, most of his stuff. Spoke of regularly fasting for days and not being hungry. And having God sustain him in that fast. Listen to these words of Jesus in John 4, 34. My food, that which sustains me, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to fulfill his work. I think what God is doing in that secret, quiet place where we're connecting with Him and, and giving Him space to connect with our heart, you know what He's restoring? Our heart. You know what He's giving back? Restored relationship with Him. That which was lost, that which was distant, that which was far away in many of the aspects of the Old Covenant. God's up there and we're down here. Jesus said, abide in me and I abide in you. I will be with you always. When we take the time, when we will, um, when we will both have the things to do as well as take the initiative to do it, God is going to restore. God is going to replace. He's going to bring into our lives something that wasn't there. Not a reward, in my opinion. So I wanted to highlight um, in, for just a moment or two, fasting is one of a variety of what are called spiritual practices. So I want to pause here for a moment. We have been uh, in our series we have been, uh, I've been using somewhat as a template or 
a way to think about these many passages that we're looking at relative to the life and ministry of Jesus with three questions that we sort of apply as we look at them. And so those of you that are new and looking to use these sheets, uh, these words aren't on those sheets, but they are at the heart and intention of it. How did Jesus live? What do, what do we just see about how Jesus lived? How did he treat people? Week after week, as we look at these passages, how did Jesus live? Secondly, what were Jesus' spiritual practices? What can we learn about Jesus and his relationship with God? What were the things and patterns and ways he lived that express opportunities, giving space for the cultivation of who we are and the transformation of our lives? And then thirdly, what is the eternal life Jesus is inviting us to live? What's the eternal kind of life that Jesus is inviting us to live now? Because he is not talking about a kind of eternal life that we're going to live someday, mostly, occasionally. He will reference that. But mostly, if you look at the passages, you'll see that it's a life that he's inviting us to now. Over the weeks, I've brought our attention to a vast number of spiritual practices that Jesus practiced. And a few weeks ago, I spent more time with this, and I pointed out a number of these, that these come directly from Jesus' own life, silence and solitude, spending time apart, withdrawing from others, getting up early, uh, fasting from rest, you might say, uh, church involvement, called, of course, synagogue in his day, but that was a spiritual practice that he was involved in regularly, as was his practice we read numerous times in the Gospels up to this point. Study, the Word of God, uh, teaching, prayer, and fasting. Those were just few. I've actually got a list right now that's about 50 that I've been keeping and working, but I'm not sharing it with you because my wife mentioned that when I do that kind of a list that everybody just kind of freaks out. <laughs> I can't do that. I can't do all that. I can't do 50. Well, there's six or seven. Pick one. And this time of practicing... Pick something. Fasting might be a good idea. Okay. So what are spiritual practices and what are they unto? Spiritual practices are actions and activities that we do that open our lives to the person and action of God in our heart, mind, body, spirit, soul, relationships, and life to progressively transform our whole person into the image of God we were designed to be. Do you hear anything in there about performance? Or works? Spiritual practices are about an inner work of us. We're not doing them. Oh, I'm going to tell you those things in a minute. Sorry. Dallas Willard, a hero of mine, uh, describes spiritual practices this way. Spiritual practices train us for leading the life that God intended for us, one that has the power and character to fulfill our calling. They're methods by which we obey the command to put off the old person and to put on the new person who is to be in the likeness of of Christ. Spiritual practices are exercises unto godliness. Through them, we become capable of doing with God 
all the wonderful things commanded in the Bible which we know are impossible in our own strength and wisdom. Spiritual practices are activities found in the Bible that we practice both alone with God's people and with God. And that's crucial to reflect and remember. When we go to fast or practice any of these practices, God's not looking for you to gut it out and to just get it done all on your own. No, he's there right beside us. It's my understanding that there is a, what do you call the person who kind of helps somebody if they're a spotter? So in, in uh, weightlifting and things, there's, there's often, uh, uh, in real weights, somebody there to help, to come alongside to help. Not really to take it away, right? But just, you know, I mean, it's really tough when that thing comes slamming down on your chest and breaks all your ribs. You know, because you got 850 pounds that you're you know, trying to push up there. Anyway, so bad analogy maybe. But God is with us. He is not looking for you to do something all on your own. In fact, the absolute opposite. He's looking for you to do something with Him. That open space for Him to have access to you. Spiritual practices are not a means to earn points with God. Or to get him to think better of us. Woohoo! Earned some brownie points with God today. I had my devotions. Aren't you proud, God? <laughs> Spiritual practices are not an end unto themselves, but are unto, as I've been stating over and over, growth and change that enables us to do what we've been called what we could not have done on our own prior to exercising those practices. Spiritual practices are similar to physical exercise that one practices and through repetition to a healthier, stronger, and more capable way of doing what one could not have done before or at least not as easily. Repetition. In almost everything in life that we want to learn, there's repetition. And repetition requires intentionality. It requires a vision of what we want to be or do or see. There is a means, something that is going to help us to do that, and there is the intentionality of us actually doing it. We can have all of the intention of the, in the world without acting on it, and it isn't intention. It's a hope, it's a wish. Grace is God's empowering presence available to us, and faith is us acting with God's grace. Grace and faith are in everything that God has asked us to do. His grace is always available, but we must act. We must cooperate. We must participate with Him. He will not, teach, he will not give us Bible verses memorized instantaneously in our sleep. 
but he'll help you memorize them if you will take time to do it. Spiritual practices are unto a connected life with God. Spiritual practices are actions and activities that we do that open our lives to the person and action of God. All right, I was led as I was working through this uh, to consider and look at a few of the examples of fasting in the Old Testament. As I looked at the topic of fasting, uh, there were a few passages that sort of came to my mind or uh, that I was led to that I think uh, demonstrate the, the heart and purpose of, of fasting as, as described, uh, that as I've been describing it. Uh, in the book of Joel, uh, there is a time when the people of Israel have turned from God. This happened quite a few times. Prophets were raised up. God wanted to address the issues of a people who have turned their back on him. And God speaks to the people and the leaders through the prophet saying these words, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. See how God is addressing the internal and rather than the external? It's just so clear. Then the prophet speaks, saying, Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relents from punishing. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people. Sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, gather the children, even infants at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her canopy. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep. All right, Kevin, you got a job there. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your heritage a mockery, a byword among the nations, why should the world say, and why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? Fasting here is a, is a part of a practice of repentance that includes not only fasting, but also prayer, weeping, mourning over sin, over missing the mark of the lives that God has invited us to. In some cases, historically in the Old Testament, this practice included the tearing of clothes and the placing of ashes upon the head. Think of Job. But notice God's words in that first line, rend your hearts and not your clothing. Clearly, God is not concerned with the outward expressions or appearance. He, he, he really doesn't care what it is, this thing that you're going to fast from. He might want to help you. You might ask him what, what God might be a good thing for me, get his input. But he really doesn't care about that. He's concerned about how are you going to practice this thing to connect with me? How are you going to give, create space in your life for me that you haven't been? 
in the book of Nehemiah, uh, a time when uh, the large percentage of Israelite people had been carried off to Babylon, there was a Jew named Nehemiah. He had a very, very high position as a Jew serving the, as the cupbearer of the king of Babylon. And I learned this week glancing at it. Here's an interesting thing. The king at this time with Nehemiah who allowed him, for those of you who know the story, who allowed him to go to Israel and help build that, he was the son of the king who was married to Esther. Now, it doesn't say that he's Esther's son, at least not in what I looked at, but just to think, what was the influence of Esther upon her husband influencing one of his sons, because he probably had zillions, that many wives, oh my gosh, right? Lots of sons. Um, and that son has a place in his heart to allow the Jewish nation to rebuild. Amazing. Anyway, the timing of God. So, Nehemiah is in this position. Uh, somebody comes from Jerusalem, a friend, a family member, I don't really remember, and they share with him the horrible devastation of Jerusalem and the condition of the Jews still living there. Keep in mind, Nehemiah was very potentially born in Babylon, never having been to Jerusalem. It's likely because of the amount of number of years that were taking place here. I'm not positive about that detail. But, but the response of Nehemiah is what I want us to look at here and I would like to invite us to consider emulating. Upon hearing this news about the horrible devastation of Jerusalem and its condition of the people, Nehemiah wept, fasted, and prayed, and repented for himself, his family, and the people of Israel. Here are his words and prayers. When I heard these words, parentheses, my ad, about the state of Jerusalem and those living there, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both I and my family have sinned. We have offended you deeply, failing to keep the commandments, the statutes, and the ordinances that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are under the farthest skies, as they were in that time, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place at which I have chosen to establish my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants while, who delight in reverencing your name. Again, fasting here is a part of a practice of repentance that comes out of a, a world situation, a, 
a, a circumstance that leads us to great sadness and mourning. Each year for the last decade or so, during the 40 days leading up to Easter, as we've described, we've invited a participation in a church-wide fast. And I think Kevin has as well uh, commented on what that could look like. Uh, I do just want to say that, you know, if, if you decide to fast from food, that chocolate's not on a fast list. So you don't need to fast from chocolate, any of you who might think of that, because it's, it's not on God's fast list. So, because, yeah, all right. Uh, fast from Brussels sprouts or carrots or spinach, that'll be okay. The, the point is not the thing. The point is your heart and the outcome that you're seeking. Fasting at its core is about denying ourselves something that's okay, even good, unto something that is better, a connected relationship with God. That's what we're inviting you to, and I believe God is inviting to you to. In light of the tragedy of this week in the school shooting at Florida, I found myself thoughtful as I read Nehemiah's prayer of the opportunity to mourn and weep, fast and pray for those who have been so harmed, but for the hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of students around our country who were harmed and have been presented with fear as a result of that. There have been 18 occurrences in 2018 already, according to the news, of either shootings or threats with guns and weapons in schools this year. We're in the middle of February. We need to cry out to God. And so I, I sensed God's invitation for us to perhaps focus some part of what we're doing in our fast upon repentance for our own sin and failings. Uh, to live holy lives set apart for God and His purposes as well as to repent for the sin and brokenness of our country and world. I'm just, I'm just always, I'm always in awe of, of Nehemiah's statement. I and my family have sinned. We've all messed up. This isn't just about the bad guy down there. It's about us. And I believe that God is inviting us. And so as a part of um, the fast, uh, yesterday I, I sensed, talked with Clara and then shared with some of our leaders uh, this idea of doing a corporate prayer time on Sunday mornings. Fairly easy for you to participate in. So during our corporate fast, we're going to offer times of corporate prayer. They're going to be on Sunday mornings, as Kevin mentioned. They're going to be prior to the service from 9.45 to 10.15. And there are five Sundays. I, for some reason, looked at my calendar and saw four, but I was graciously supported and helped by uh, our uh, gal who does the Vine News to say, uh, hey, Randy, there's 
What about the 25th of March? Oh, yeah, that's the week before Easter. That should probably be a, a corporate prayer, too. So there's five Sundays uh, starting next Sunday. And Justin, if Claire and I are not going to be here next week, we are both. I'm going to my brother's memorial, and Claire is going to a family reunion with her 92-year-old mother and things like that. So uh, others will be leading uh, both the service as well as that prayer time next week. So as a part of a conclusion now, um, I also want and felt leading to invite us to initiate uh, our fast and to initiate this idea of a fast of repentance on behalf of ourselves and our nation to actually use uh, a few minutes this morning to gather here, to gather into little clusters, uh, two or three, uh, to just pray briefly uh, about uh, what he's inviting us to pray about and to consider, and, you know, and particularly relative to uh, the hurt and harm that has come as a result of this. Uh, ben or um, David, would you bring up the house lights a little bit? We don't need to be full, but just bring them up so we can see one another. So what I'm asking you to do, we're just going to spend a couple of minutes, and I'm going to pray as after you're in clusters, I'm going to pray and invite the Spirit of God to fill us with a spirit of prayer. So gather into a few clusters. Don't start yet, but get, get moving, move around, do what you're going to do. Gather with a couple, two or three people. And we're just going to pray. Those of you that, that are okay with praying out loud, you'll, you'll be able to pray. Um, two or three. <laughs> It'll just be easier. Two or three. You get to four and five, whatever. It's not that crucial. Four is okay. All right, never mind. I give up. I give up. Four is fine. All right, I'm going to pray first just for a moment just to invite God. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are the one who fills the gap for us when we don't know how to pray. And I ask in Jesus' name that you would fill our hearts with mourning. The mourning that you feel. The sadness of your heart at the abuses that happened. Would you move in our hearts and move us to be the kind of people that you have called us to be? Men and women of repentance and who mourn on behalf of others as well as ourselves. Take a few minutes now and, and pray together. to weep and mourn over the brokenness of our world, over the misses in our own lives, ways we as a congregation have missed opportunities. Would you bring us into place of understanding how to come alongside those who battle fear, those who battle rejection, those who are outsiders and those who are pushed to the sidelines. Would you help us to be like you, Jesus, who reached out and knew to reach out to those who are outside to love and care, to bring life? And would you continue to soften our hearts, that our hearts would become like your heart, a heart that is not filled with judgment and criticism and anger, but one that is filled with love. 
Love that acts. Love that comes alongside and cares genuinely. That lays down our own lives. In these 40 days as we uh, uh, commit to, uh, to fast, to pursue you, would you teach us? Would you teach us about prayer? Would you teach us about your heart and give us alertness to things in our society and world that we can join you in prayer about? Would you transform us as a little congregation into one that is outward focused? on one another, on you, and in those in our broken and hurting world. Would you bring us revival? Would you awaken us to your you? Would you work with our lack of awareness that you would be glorified, that your kingdom would come, in us and through us. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. I do hope you'll consider joining us for one of the five weeks or a couple of them or something that you can fit in Sunday mornings as we pray together. Also, as Kevin shared, we do have a time here at the end of our service every, every week. Uh, pretty much where we give an opportunity for people that would like prayer, someone to come alongside and pray with. Perhaps your uh, issue came in this morning with something hurting, maybe some, some uh, sadness in your own heart that we could come alongside and just bring God's blessing and care for you. Uh, perhaps it's this arena of discipline and um, that you would like some prayer for. We'd be happy to do that as well. Bless you. Grace to you. Might you experience uh, a with God week. Let it be so.